In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's been a busy few weeks here at our wonderful parish. If you were here last Sunday, of course, we celebrated our first Holy Communion for our little children. And then on Tuesday, we had Bishop Soto here for confirmation. We confirmed 70 of our young people, strengthened with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But when you grab a bulletin, it's the group photo from last Sunday. And so it's where our children have received their first Holy Communion. Again, these beautiful sacraments that we celebrated. But it's the first Holy Communion one which marks us as different. I don't know if you realize this, but especially if you grew up in the church, it's, we can kind of become so used to it, we forget how utterly strange and wild this teaching is. That the Eucharist, the bread and wine that we see with our eyes and taste with our tongue is no longer bread or wine anymore. But it has truly become Jesus, fully present. Because if you go outside of the Catholic Church, you will not find this teaching, by the way. This teaching marks us different than our friends down the street, just down the street over here. They'll say, oh, we don't believe in the true presence of Christ. But now the question becomes, well, is it even a big deal then? Who cares? Whatever you believe. Whether it's him or not, who cares? No big deal. But oh, is it a big deal. If you notice the photo when you grab your bulletin, notice how beautifully dressed the kids are. And that's by design. No matter where you go in the world for First Holy Communion, whether you, you go to First Communion in Iraq or India, the kids will always be dressed dapper. That's sharp. And it reminds us of something, doesn't it? It looks like they're going to a little wedding, aren't they? And I think there is our interpretive key to understanding why the Eucharist must be pivotal in the Christian life. Must. It's love. If indeed God is love, I dare argue that the Eucharist must be truly Him, and it is indeed a huge deal. Let's go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 to verse 3 is key to understanding ourselves. As we all know, in the famous line, and I, I, I quote this ad nauseum to you all the time, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, Oh, tattoo that on your heart, that every single human being is created in God's image and likeness. God's image and likeness, every single one of us, which means, as Christ revealed, that God is love. Another pivotal Christian doctrine which separates us from every other religion on earth, that God is a communion of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And so that line now of verse chapter, chapter 1, verse 27, that we're creating God's image and likeness, takes on exponentially new meaning. That you and I are created for love. But then what happens in Genesis chapter 3? It's the story of Adam and Eve. Here's Adam and Eve, our first parents. They're created in love. And then our ancient foe comes and entices them to rebel. And of course, we know what happens. They eat of the fruit. What did we lose when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit? What did we lose? We lost two primary gifts. We lost the source of life, of eternal life. We lost it. This is when death comes in now. Because remember, as Christians, death is actually weird. Death for us is unnatural. We were never meant to die. But when Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit, we lost life. Second, we lost communion with God and with one another. This is why we fight, by the way. This is why we have wars, why we bicker, why we tear each other down through gossip, why we destroy our reputations. Right here. We lost communion. And we see that immediately in Genesis chapter 5, the story of Cain and Abel, the first homicide. Remember? What did Cain do to his brother? Murdered him. We lost communion and usher in the terrible history of humanity. We lost life. We lost communion. Now here is the joy. Because now interpret everything through love. Because when we have love, by the way, Love is, love is almost like a superpower. Love has the ability to see past the mere surface of things and penetrate a different reality. Love, I dare say, has the ability to delve deeper into how things truly are. And we see this in our own experience, don't we? You know, we just had, we had tons of weddings here at St. Mary's, praise the Lord. And I always love that pivotal moment when the bride processes in. And of course, the vast majority of everybody looks at the bride because she's always stunning. But I dare say the drama is always on the face of the groom. You ever look on his face? How goofy the groom always looks. Here is a man trying to stand there composed. And then he sees lips start to quiver. A tear falls from his eye, and he's just staring at her, mesmerized. Why? 
Because for us at that wedding, we see a beautiful young lady. Maybe she's our daughter. Maybe she's our cousin, a friend, a co-worker, someone that we grew up with. Ah, but for that groom, he sees something utterly different than everybody else in that room. What is the difference? Love. He sees his beloved. Or how about you parents in here? It's the same thing. It's not just regulated just to people who are married. Do you remember when you held your child in your hands for the first time? That squishy little red little baby, huh? (laughs) And you held that little baby in your arms. And you stared at that child for hours, just mesmerized like that goofy-looking groom. All eight billion people on earth will look at that baby and say, oh, cute little baby. But as a father and as a mother, you see something utterly different. What's the difference? Love. You see, love has the ability to look at something on the surface and see something strikingly more remarkable. Jesus asked his disciples once, they said, who do people say that I am? Remember that pivotal conversation? They said, when when people look at me, who do they say that I am? And they had all these different answers. Oh, some, Jesus, some say that you're, you're Elijah again, Jeremiah, or maybe you're one of the prophets. So they saw on the surface somebody interesting. And then when he turned to his disciples, he said, all right, but then who do you say that I am? So who do you, when you look at me, who do you think I am? And do you remember the response? You are the son of the living God. What separated that response from everybody else? Love. Love. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, Jesus says. For my blood is true drink. My body, the bread, true food. Here in the original Greek language, we see the drama continuing to unfold. When our Lord here in John chapter 6, he says, unless you eat, Jesus uses a unique word here. He could have used two words. There's two words to to describe to eat. He uses the word trogo here. Trogo literally means to gnaw, to chew. Unless you literally gnaw on my flesh, you have no life in you. See, he's using the imagery of an animal who's eating a piece of flesh. So everybody in that room would have immediately said, what are you talking about, Jesus? Unless I I gnaw on your body, I have no life in me? Yes, why? 
Genesis chapter 3 again. Remember, what did we lose when Adam and Eve fell? Life. We lost life. And Jesus says, now, I will give of myself to you, and now you will have eternal life. What is the other gift that we lose? We lost communion with God and with one another. And St. Paul, beautifully here in the second reading today, he points to that. He says, brothers and sisters, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is not a, isn't it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now here's the key line. And all of a sudden it makes complete sense when we think of Genesis. Because the loaf of bread is one. Though many are one body, we all partake of the one loaf. Communion, again, restored. Participation in the original Greek is koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship, communion with one. No more divisions, no more fighting, no more destruction. You see, when we look upon the Holy Eucharist with the eyes of love, all of a sudden it makes complete sense now. Because what is love? Again, we have to harken back to this basic definition of Christian love. It is to will the good of the other. It is to constantly give of oneself for the beloved. In a sense, it is the love of the Holy Trinity as revealed to us Christ, who gives himself completely. Now, if indeed God is a Trinitarian love, he must give himself completely to us. Body soul, and divinity. Again, why it is fitting that the Eucharist is truly our Lord. Because remember, just as through one act of eating of the forbidden fruit ushered in sin and death, now Christ restores it equally through another act of eating his flesh and his blood. So it's completely undone through one act of disobedience of eating Christ now restores it through another act. So every time we eat the Holy Eucharist, we are undoing what Adam and Eve ushered in. It cannot be otherwise. In a few moments, we're going to move towards the altar. And I'll bless the words of of use the words of consecration to bless the bread and the wine, and I will hold up the Eucharist before your eyes. And right before you receive Holy Communion, the priest will say, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. When I hold him up for you, let me ask you, With the eyes of love, what do you see? What do you see? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.